Hello and welcome to Complete Caribbean, a Travel Pulse podcast all about the world's favorite warm weather destination, the Caribbean. I'm writer, editor, and Caribbean travel expert, Jet Set Sarah. And I'm Brian Major, managing editor here at Travel Pulse. We're happy to have you join us today as we discuss the ins and the outs of Caribbean travel, and we share the latest info and intelligence on this wonderfully diverse region. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Complete Caribbean podcast. Today is Tuesday, August 24th, and guess what? It is episode 10. We are celebrating 10 episodes of the Caribbean Complete Caribbean podcast. It's me, Jet Set Sarah, and Brian Major from Travel. Hi, everyone. <laughs> we are very happy to have you with us today and it's a jam-packed show as usual first before i tell you what's happening let me also remind you please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts we're always bringing you the latest caribbean news hot and fresh today we have a special guest and he is brad dean he's a ceo of discover puerto rico and he'll be getting us up to speed on what's happening there on the island and we've got, we're going to be talking a lot about some of the challenges that the Caribbean is facing right now and also some of the opportunities and the good news. So we've got a jam-packed show. So I'm going to get stuck in right now with this just in. So, you know, <laughs> as usual, we're talking about COVID. But this time, you know, on a serious note, as a Delta variant continues to surge, we're seeing changes not just in entry protocols for Caribbean countries, but also the on-island protocols and even resort policies. There have been a slew of updates since we last spoke to you two weeks ago. I'm going to give you a few of those right now. In Anguilla, after an outbreak of 16 cases last week, the island is open for business, but they are only accepting vaccinated visitors. And even if you are vaxxed, please know that you will have to still present a negative COVID test when you arrive on the island. The Turks and Caicos, similarly, on September 1st, has announced that as of September 1st, all visitors over the age of 16 must be vaccinated at least two weeks before their arrival if they want to get to the islands. Jamaica is having some challenges. In Jamaica, a third wave is stressing their, out their healthcare system, and only 5% of the population of 3 million has been vaccinated. Consequently, the government has announced a schedule of what they're calling no movement days, which will effectively put the island in lockdown status over the next few weeks. It's a total of seven days over the next three weekends, and during that time, residents are supposed to remain at home unless they're essential workers. The Bahamas issued an emergency order last week, which, as of September 3rd, will ban cruise ships from docking at its ports, even the cruise line's private island ports, unless all passengers on the ship over 12 can pr present proof of vaccination. Already, Royal Caribbean, MSC and Norwegian are currently requiring all eligible passengers to be vaccinated. As you know, if you've been watching the news, we've had a lot of controversy between Florida's governor uh, Ron DeSantis, who's been suing the CDC and saying that they, that you don't want people to be able to um, require that you be vaccinated to get on a ship or ask for proof of vaccination. But just last week, a federal judge ruled, ruled in favor of Florida. And so as of now, the cruise lines are free to um, see, to ask you if you've been vaccinated and to require that you be vaccinated to be on board. 
And then um, also in response to the surge of Delta, I really, I think it's a really bold move. Uh, there's a resort, all-inclusive resort chain, Elite Island Resorts, and they have announced that beginning September 1st, all guests 12 years and older will be required to show proof of vaccination when they check in. Now, this is a really big deal. It's the first time we've heard it coming from an all-inclusive resort chain. Uh, they've got nine resorts in Antigua, Barbados, St. Lucia, Panama and St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And I thought what their CEO, um, Robert Barrett, said was really interesting. He says, "We've it's always been our duty to protect the health and safety of our guests and our employees first and foremost. We have a commitment to our communities and the destinations in which we operate. It's imperative for us to protect the hospitals of these smaller island nations. And while they've had a good track record so far with COVID-19, we must remain vigilant and do our part to become part of the solution. I thought that was a really bold move. It's certainly one that I welcome, and I'm sure a lot of travelers will welcome. And it'll be interesting, Brian, I think, to see in the coming weeks whether other resorts, <clears throat> sandals, maybe other resort chains, anybody else, they decide um, that they will follow <laughs> suit, right? I, I, What do you think, Brian? It'll definitely be interesting to see how this plays out, how this developed. It's funny because I contacted uh, elites, elite island resorts representatives after this statement, which is a commendable statement and, a, and a, I think an appropriate policy. Uh, but, you know, there are going to be guests and agents online were asking in chat groups. Um, there are going to be guests with existing bookings who are going to show up unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what happens to yeah. these folks? You know, EIR, Elite Islands, uh, spokespeople said um, they're going to do it on a case-by-case -case basis. They'll take care of this when this comes up. Um, they didn't give us a real policy for how they're going to handle this, um, other than to say they'll do it on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, clearly, that's what they right. said. Um, and so when we'll you think see. about it. Uh, and then if you're talking about a sandals, you're talking about a big resort, you're talking about a lot of existing bookings, potentially. It may not be as yep. easily accomplished for uh, some of the larger resorts, it's going to be interesting because, I, again, I, obviously that's an appropriate policy. Yeah, I mean, and to be honest, I do think it might have been better to give at least a month's notice so that if you want to get vaccinated, if you intend to get vaccinated, you have time to get both your doses and have the two weeks and, you know, the week, two weeks in Great between and the two weeks after. So, yep. you know, maybe we'll see resorts coming forward saying maybe as of October 1st, you need to be vaccinated. That right. might be a bit more practical, right? I'm thinking the same kind of thing. And, you know, the one last thing on, on those the outstanding items you, you provided and those updates, um, Frankly, it's disappointing to hear that 5% of Jamaicans have been vaccinated. Yeah. That's, yeah. And it's 5% of 3 million people. That's, that's um, yeah. that, I don't know. I don't really have a word for that. So I hope, um, I hope that changes um, and soon. So um, it's funny because uh, Jamaica is hosting tourists as we speak. It seems that that is under control. They are in Again, re resilient corridors. But we'll see. We'll see how this handles. You know, as you and I were talking before the broadcast, we still have a way to go. We have a long way to go.
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, certainly I, I wish all the islands, but particularly Jamaica, um, that we can sort of rev up the vaccination drive. Because, I, you know, Jamaica's my home. I want to go back. Yeah. And honestly, I don't feel comfortable right now going back. Um, not because I feel like I would get sick, but, you know, because we're seeing, I think most of the cases are not in the resilient corridors. They're actually community spread. And so yeah. I fear for the community. I don't want Absolutely. to, you know, contribute to anything that might burden um their medical system but a anyway. lot of people know you and i have close ties to jamaica you're jamaican yeah and uh, my wife's jamaican and uh, i have family living in jamaica so um uh so close family so um yeah we're hoping things work out but speaking of working out i believe you have some good news in the cruise yeah. industry brand actually there is some good news on the cruise front certainly when it comes to the caribbean um, two of the top ports are uh, reopened to uh, large ships this week, uh, so this past week. Celebrity Cruises Equinox, Celebrity Equinox, called at the Antigua Cruise Port, port on August 19th. And Belize's Harvest Key Port hosted Norwegian Gem on August 18th. Now, these calls represented the first major post-outbreak cruise activity at each port, which are normally very active. Um, mm-hmm. Equinox was carrying 2,000 passengers, more than 2,000 passengers. They didn't give us an exact number, but more than 2,000 when it docked at St. John's Harbor port on Thursday. And the ship was welcomed by every official, um, Antigua Cruise Port, Antigua and Barbuda Port Authority, and Antigua and Barbuda Tourism Authority officials all came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the first large vessel to dock at the St. John's Harbor since the restart of the cruise season in July, the officials said. And the disembarkation of passengers, here's the important part, was carefully managed mm-hmm. to reduce the risk of spreading COVID-19. And that's according to the port's general manager. Um, you know, Sarah and I were in the British Virgin Islands a while back and we, were, we walked through the cruise port, which was... <clears throat> empty of activity and we we talked to retailers yes. and uh they told us how much they 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 we knew how much they were missing this activity and it was interesting to hear donna regis prosper the general manager of the um of the antigua and barbuda port say we have truly missed the breathtaking sight of the colossal larger cruise vessels here at the port so we're extremely excited to welcome celebrity equinox so when they say that sarah and i know they mean it <laughs> so um Antigua and Barbuda also revised its COVID-19 protocols recently for cruise passengers. All passengers over age 12 has to be vaccinated to call at the island on a cruise ship. And as you see, not just the cruise lines, as Sarah mentioned, the destinations are also placing health and safety restrictions and requirements on uh, arriving mm-hmm. passengers. So that's the deal there in Antigua. And uh, fully vaccinated crew members will be allowed on shore and they can do pre-approved tours. They're, they're thinking of everyone who might come on the ship, um, right. which is the proper thing to do. Okay, then in Belize, um, Norwegian Cruise Line's 75-acre Harvest Key Cruise Port, that's a dedicated cruise port and private island for Norwegian Cruise Line. And uh, it welcomed Norwegian Gem on August 18th. And again, that was the first call of any sort at that port since the 2020 outbreak. And uh, that vessel had 1,262 passengers and 1,067 crew. Um, So the Belize Tourism Board assisted in uh, the call and uh, the the, uh, director of the Belize Tourism Board, Abil Castaneda, said in local press reports that the gem is 
actually working at 60% of capacity because of COVID-19 protocols. He said uh, the protocols are very stringent and um, Norwegian Cruise Line is maintaining low capacities for the foreseeable future. Uh, all of the passengers on board have full vaccination. As Sarah mentioned, this is an NCL ship. It's not embarking from Miami, but it is an NCL ship and everyone on board has to be fully vaccinated. And uh, he said, we're very happy about the protocols. Now this itinerary starts at, um, at, um, at uh, Galveston and goes to Rotan, Honduras, Costa Maya and Cozumel, Mexico. So it's gonna go to other ports, other places, protocols on board, everyone has to be vaccinated. I think that's the way that, to operate. And uh, the protocols were developed in cooperation with the Cruise Tourism Task Force, which is a group that worked with cruise lines, of cruise lines and uh, Caribbean destination officials that work together to develop region-wide protocols. So they're sticking to the plan as far as we can see. So that's good news. Yeah, that that is good news, Brian. I mean, I honestly feel like, you know, we've, we've had a lot of talk about whether, you know, people are talking about vaccination is a choice. Um, but, you know, okay, if it is, it, it, it's a choice. <laughs> but I think if you choose not to get vaccinated, honestly, you really should choose also to stay at home. Absolutely. I will you go so far as to say that. Come at me if you want people, but that's what I think. <laughs> Anyhow. <Come on. laughs> I also have some some good news. I also have some good news, which is from one of my favorite islands. People always ask me, what's your favorite island? I have a few, but one of them is Anguilla. So up until now, if you wanted to go to Anguilla from the United States, either you did what most people did, which was flying to St. Martin and then take a ferry, 30 minute ferry from St. Martin over to Anguilla. Or uh, if you had a bit more money to spend, you could also fly into St. Martin and then get on an eight minute puddle jumper flight over to Anguilla. But so what Anguilla has always been, as they say, behind the gateway. But guess what? The gateway is coming to Anguilla, <laughs> people. <laughs> American Airlines announced that as of December 11th, they will be flying direct from my hometown, Miami, woohoo, to Anguilla. I am very excited about this. They're going to be flying twice a week on an Embraer 175 aircraft. And the twice weekly service will be on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Flights will leave the 305 at 10.50 a.m. and arrive in Anguilla at 2.49 p.m. Very precise, American. And then the return flight will depart Anguilla at 3.40, getting back into Miami um, at 5.53 a.m. Not a.m., sorry, p.m., just yeah. in time for the rush hour traffic. But you'd have, had, you'd, you'd have had half a day in Anguilla on the way back. I know, for one, I am very excited. American, if you're listening and you're doing an inaugural flight, <coughs> I'm raising my hand. I know you can't see it, but I'm raising my hand. I think this is a great idea. I always say to people, Anguilla is somewhere that I would consider living in the Caribbean, except for the fact that it's behind the gateway and you have to connect to get to the United States. But now... I don't know. There might be Anguilla in my future in 2022. <laughs> we know that that is a very, Anguilla is a very, very special place. And uh, yes, I was right. I've heard people say that, you know, getting there is part of the, part of the adventure because you do have to connect. Which is um, true. Uh, which is true. Which is I mean, true, and the ferry but, ride is no uh, hardship, but you know, sometimes you just want to be in and out or certainly coming back. You know, it's a, the ferry ride is nice. It's a nice transition to get you into the island mode of things, particularly when pre-COVID, the ferry also included a rum punch. So you would sip right. your rum punch and be, you know, in a nice place by the time you got to Anguilla. But it, it'll be nice when you come back. Maybe it'll give you a little bit more time on the beach if you're just flying direct. Absolutely. 
got one more uh, okay. thing to mention uh, at, with, with Jamaica. And uh, we're talking about air. Air is the lifeblood of uh, the Caribbean. And uh, hopefully, although it's now in the throes of these local restrictions, things will be progressing for the high season which is the fall. Um, and we've learned that American Airlines is going to launch the carrier's first direct flights from Philadelphia, one of the largest regional airports in the U.S., to Kingston's Norman Manley International Airport beginning in November. The three times a week flights will depart Mondays, Thursdays, and Sundays and coincide with the high season, said Edmund Bartlett, who is Jamaica's tourism minister. The country is excited, he said, to increase access to Kingston, which is Jamaica's capital city. And it is also, many people don't know, a UNESCO designated creative city because of its musical, its musical legacy and culture, which is profound. And uh, it, Kingston is also slated to add 500 new hotel rooms before 2023. We have uh, Donovan White. He said this new partnership with American Airlines will afford passengers many opportunities to experience the diversity that our capital city offers while still being able to connect with the other resort areas. There's going to be more access to Kingston. They just have to get through this challenge. Like we said, challenges and opportunities. Definitely, definitely. And I'm looking forward to coming back to Jamaica. So see you soon, Jamaica. And now joining our podcast is a, a gentleman, uh, you know, I've had the pleasure to know for a while, uh, Brad Dean, the CEO of Discover Puerto Rico. Uh, welcome to the show, Brad. And glad hey, you're Hey, buenos dias, Brian. Great to be with you. Buenos dias. Uh, Brad, I have to say you um, have, you know, you've, you've, you've done this for a while. Um, you've been in, in this position in good times and bad. Um, so you've seen the full picture and you know what Puerto Rico looks like normally and then under this situation. Uh, so we'll talk a bit about that. But right now, are there entry requirements attached to traveling to Puerto Rico, which, of course, is a U.S. territory? Thanks, Brian. And there are entry requirements uh, similar to what we've had employed for several months now. If you're coming to the island of Puerto Rico and you're a U.S. citizen, of course, you don't need a passport, but you will need either proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test within the last 72 hours of travel. And either one of those, uh, you just post it in an online form. You can do it very quickly on your phone or your computer. And then you'll need similar information when you check into your hotel. And these requirements have been in place for a while. And all of that is really just to maintain the important balance of health and safety for our residents and visitors, but while ensuring everyone can have a great time while they're here. Absolutely. And, um, Speaking of that, what is generally, in general terms, the state of COVID-19 infection in Puerto Rico, um, current case uh, load, and uh, how, how do you characterize the situation right now, Brad? Yeah, well, we're winning the battle against COVID, but we all have to push the ball over the goal line, if I can use the football analogy. Uh, in Puerto Rico, we're very encouraged, Brian, that um, 79% of our residents on island have received at least one dose of the vaccine. I believe 69% are fully vaccinated. So um, we're actually a little bit above uh, the U.S. average. And uh, we're hopeful that with the FDA approval of uh, at least one of the vaccines, maybe that'll prompt some people who are on the fence to finally get fully vaccinated. Uh, we did see a slight uptick in numbers recently. I think we had about 279 uh, daily cases of COVID reported about a week ago. 
And that was certainly up from recent weeks. Uh, of course, it's a tiny number compared to the increase in the U.S., uh, but we're watching this very closely as we have been for several months now. And I think one of the reasons Puerto Rico's fared so well overall is because the island's uh, health officials and governor have been very, very diligent about how to manage this. We want people to come, but we want you to be healthy and safe when you're here, and we want to protect everyone. Always a, a comprehensive uh, approach, it seems, in Puerto Rico uh, in terms of tourism and uh, how to uh, handle situations such as this. Uh, Brad, um, of the cases are that are existent, um, have many of them, have they been communities spread largely or have they been in tourist areas? Because, of course, you have tourism activity going on. Certainly. I think about 9% of the cases uh, have been related to tourists, which, of course, means 91% have not. Uh, most of those are family contagions, and, uh, and, and that's why it's so important for us to make sure that everybody in the family that's eligible for vaccinations gets vaccinated. So the number of cases related to tourists is relatively small, but uh, we know one is too many. So that's why we're being so diligent about uh, ensuring that visitors who come are either vaccinated or have their negative COVID test. And, and by the way, if you're coming from outside the U.S., um, you, uh, the same requirements apply. You just need the COVID, uh, negative COVID test as well. The vaccination uh, is only applicable for U.S. travelers. I see. Absolutely. And let's face it, 79% of first vaccination and, and around 69% of full vaccination is, is very good. It's good and it's commendable and, uh, you know, exemplary uh, within the region, you know, is among the high, you know, uh, high points for the region. Um, Brad, you know, I mean, when we're talking about this, we're going to talk about the government and then we're going to talk about Discover Puerto Rico. But and you touched a bit on the, uh, this. The government has had to balance the twin goals of protecting public health while also ensuring there is critical tourism activity, which is critical to the economy. Those are somewhat, you know, almost disparate goals. Uh, how, what in your opinion, how has the government done that? And can you shed some light? Because, of course, you work within the government. Yeah, you know, Brian, I think you touched on one of the unique challenges for all of us in the tourism industry. Normally, you know, we're part of the solution. You want to create jobs, launch careers, create economic activity. We're at the heart of that. So what we had to do initially was recognize that tourism has to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Uh, early on, we aligned with uh, both our local health officials and our government to make sure that we were accurately and transparently and quickly messaging everything they were telling mm -hmm. us. And we had to recognize something that we'd never done in our careers it's just not in our dna as promoters that sometimes in case of a pandemic the best thing we had to do was sort of put the brakes on tourism we never really closed down but if you go back and look at our promotional strategy while we never shut down our message for a period of time was it's not time to visit yet all in good time and then of course we graduated to it's time to plan and then when we were ready and we said it's time to visit boy did the visitors come back so i think it really um challenged all of us as promoters brian to align with our community, align with our health officials, make sure we're delivering the right information and recognizing that there will be a time to travel. And it's worked. It's worked incredibly well. And that, along with our targeting and our other promotions, I think have really positioned Puerto Rico for what has been an historic comeback. And we're doing better today than we ever could have thought six months ago. But I think it goes back to the planning, the coordination and alignment and recognizing that health and safety is always going to be the top priority for all of us in travel and tourism. If it's not, then we're not doing our job. 
That sounds that's outstanding. Great to hear. And uh, that's an additional uh, an additional challenge when, as we see, the um, the, the 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 passion and the wanderlust has returned. Um, people are going back to destinations that provide uh, like Puerto Rico, a framework. I've, I've always I've thought a framework for safety and security so that they're able to um travelers are able to return to the the great attractions that they that they remember and um in the same vein brad um i think the answer to this is yes but you can tell me are most of the signature tourism attractions of puerto rico the things we go for i mean i've been there many many times and i know there's a diversity of things to do all around the island not just in old san juan but everywhere else in uh, across the island but would you say most of the attractions and activities that you could do previously are accessible absolutely and of course brian as you know better than most uh, one of the, the advantages puerto rico has is because we have so many outdoor attractions and amenities uh, that made it a little easier for us to stay open or reopen of course some businesses have uh, reopened with capacity restrictions although in most cases businesses right now are able to operate at full capacity uh, the beaches and nature preserves of course are open and uh, we do recommend if you're not vaccinated to wear a mask but uh, really the masking requirements are indoors so hey, if you come to puerto Rico today, you can kayak the bioluminescent bays, you can hike in the rainforest, stroll through the the, uh, cobblestone streets of Old San Juan, all those things you've come to know and expect in Puerto Rico are waiting for you. And we're excited to host visitors that are looking to get out and connect with history and culture and experience a little bit of Puerto Rico and taste some Puerto Rico as well. You know, just hearing all of that, it it sounds great. And I can't wait to uh, return um, you know, like I said, I've been there several times, many times, but, uh, I, you know, there's always something else that you haven't seen in Puerto Rico. It, it, there is so much really, uh, in the territory to, uh, to explore and discover. So that's great news. Um, and Brad, you know, I want to turn a little to some personal uh, distinction for you. Um, you were named national state tourism director of the year for 2021. And that's the first time. This honor was uh, won by a representative of Puerto Rico. And, uh, you know, I like to think of what you've done in the time. I know you were you were around in 2019 when it was, you know, I mean, it was a landmark year and record, you know, arrivals. Um, And then in 2020, when it was something else. (laughs) So um, and then now this year, when you have to, you know, reframe the approach in many ways. So um, congratulations. And what do you think stood out and what priorities did you put in place, you know, that allowed you to, to, to you know, to be a recipient of that award? Yeah, well, thank you, Brian. Uh, you know, as, as a leader, you get too much credit when things go well. And I've been really, really fortunate that I'm blessed, first and foremost, to represent a great people and a great destination. And I'm surrounded by a team at Discover Puerto Rico who are just so passionate and committed. They show up every day, good or bad, with uh, a passion and an excitement, a fervor to share their island with the world. And uh, they they're just they inspire me every day. You know, it was uh, uh, really humbling for me. Uh, the first time, as you mentioned, that, that Puerto Rico has been recognized uh, on the stage at the National Council of State Tourism Directors. And when you think about the role of a state tourism director in this environment, balancing the role of a, a governor and administration and industry and all of the challenges in normal times, much less a pandemic, uh, right. for them to select me was a great honor. But I, I think it's as much a recognition of Puerto Rico and how far we've come. And uh, as you mentioned, we've seen some ups and some downs. When I came, I thought Hurricane Maria was going to be the big challenge. That was just a tune-up for what, what awaited <laughs> us. 
But you know, I think the story in Puerto Rico is not just a story about comebacks. It's a story about the transformative power of travel. And when we align together, private sector and public sector, and work to make tourism part of the solution, tourism changes lives. It shapes communities. And in our case, it's lifted our island into prosperity. We still have a long way to go. But I think being recognized by my peers was certainly a great honor for me and the team at Discover Puerto Rico, and certainly one that uh, uh, we'll never forget. And for Puerto Rico itself to be recognized was uh, a real honor and achievement for all of us. So we're flattered, we're humbled, and but it just keeps us focused that we know we've got more work to do. And it reminds us of just how important travel and tourism is, not just to our island, but to our country and our world. Couldn't agree more. And con- again, congratulations, Brad. And, you know, the passion is, is evident in your team. And, and you know, and it's, it's wonderful that uh, your programs have focused on the diversity and the, the, the overall picture of what Puerto Rico is and focus on the Puerto Rico people. So um, thanks again for being with us. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a rare opportunity and we're glad to have uh, a few moments just to speak with you and uh, talk about Puerto Rico. We can talk to you for an hour, Brad, but I don't hey, think we have that much. Brian, always a pleasure <laughs> to join you and your legion of followers and uh, let's all travel safe and win this battle against COVID together. Brian, thanks very much for that very illuminating uh, interview with Brad Dean, CEO of Discover Puerto Rico. Uh, Puerto Rico absolutely is one of my favorite Caribbean destinations. And I think it's actually quite underrated. You know, it's so close to the U.S. People don't really think about it when they think about going to the Caribbean. But I think it's a great long weekend destination. So I'm looking forward to getting back there soon. Anyway, moving on now, we are now in our island inbox section. And I actually wanted to talk about, it's not really so much something that came into my inbox, not this first item anyway, but I wanted to talk to you about a recent trip that I took to Aruba. I was actually in Aruba last week. And it's one of those, Aruba is one of those islands that I don't know very well at all. I've only been twice and those trips were separated by six or seven years. So this trip was really nice because I had a chance for this and this time to actually kind of get a feel for what Aruba is like, mostly because um, I had a chance to really talk to Aruban people. I did some tours. Uh, I got to talk to Aruban people, masked at a safe distance, of course. And it gave me more of a feeling, you know, it's a, it's a Dutch Caribbean island, but they make a lot of the fact that they have more than a hundred nationalities there which is a wonderful thing. But at the same time, it makes it hard to really pinpoint what is actually a Reuben. You know what I mean? Because something happens, you don't know. Is it a Dutch thing? Is it a Latin American thing? Is it an Aruban thing? You don't really know. But um, I, yeah, but this time I got a, be- a much better feel for the island, like I said, because I, because I had, I did a, a tour, a half day tour with De Palm Tours, which was really interesting and I had a great guy Gio Giovanni and then I actually went to San Nicolas in the south which was a town that is kind of being revitalized it's where the big oil refinery was until mm. uh, I think about 15 years ago and the kind the town sort of fell on hard times but now they're trying to revitalize it and I did an art there are lots of murals there sort of like in the style of like Winwood Miami you do a walking tour I did a walking tour with Tito Bolivar who was another of amazing Aruban character and really taught me a lot about the island. Um, 
I do want to point out, we've been talking a lot about vaccination. I felt good about traveling to Aruba at this time because they have a really high vaccination rate. According to Reuters, as of today, they're at 68.8% of their population, which is about, I think, 3,300 and Oh, gosh, sorry. I can't, I'm not going to guess what the population is, but I do know that almost 70% of their population is vaccinated. So that's certainly something when I'm thinking about where I'm going to go next on assignment, that's something I take, uh, bear in mind. And so I think if, if you are someone who still wants to squeeze in a little travel before the end of the summer and you want to be discerning about where you're going and responsible about where you're going, I think Aruba is a good destination. And I'll give a little plug here. Um, coming up soon on Travel Pulse will be my slideshow with things you need to know about going to Aruba. So, for example, I won't I won't uh, scoop myself here, but, you know, of course, you have to apply online. Do right. No, I won't, don't do that. Um, you have to apply online as you do for most every other Caribbean country. You do have to buy Aruba's own insurance. Um, and the process there when you get there is almost uh, touchless. When you arrive at the airport, you're literally just showing the barcode that they give you and moving from point to point to point. A very seamless and practically touchless um, arrival uh, protocol, arrival experience, which I, I was really impressed with. And then, of course, when you leave Aruba, Aruba is one of the few Caribbean islands where you actually clear U.S. customs when you leave, oh. actually on island before you come back. So I will say if you're going, allow a lot of extra time because you go through two sets of security. Curiously, you go through two sets of security and you go through immigration, you know, immigration out of Aruba and then into America. Luckily for me, I have global entry. Um, but if you don't have global entry, honestly, you need to be at that airport four hours in advance of your flight. It takes some time. But then, of course, the good news is when you get to your home airport, you just it's just as if it's a domestic arrival. So it's all good. But anyway, um, I just wanted to say Aruba. I like you. I like you now. I know you a bit better. I like you now. And I wanted to recommend it as a destination if people are thinking about traveling in the near future. To it. Um, as Sarah was saying, vaccination rates there are in the 70. I, I, like you, I don't remember the exact figure he told me. I know it was close to the 70, above 70% rate and climbing. So they have a handle on that. They have a five step plan to reignite, to reintroduce tourism. They're not accepting visitors right now. Um, right. Unlike some of the other uh, Caribbean destinations, if you're a resident or if you work there, yeah, you can come back and forth on a national carrier, Cayman Airways. But for now, commercial airlines are not flying flights there. And uh, Kenneth made the point, you know, that they're not apologetic, that um, they are in a better position than some of the other islands because of their mm -hmm. financial services industry, which is very robust and uh, provides uh, they're providing payments of fifteen hundred dollars a month to tourism workers. And people in wow, the I did not know that. That is, are, that is really commendable. And loans, not I think they're grants. They may be grants or loans. I'm not sure. Again, read my story. And it says in TravelPulse.com, they're um, $30,000 to businesses. So they're maintaining the structure, tourism businesses. So they're maintaining the structure of the tourism industry locally. The second thing I want to make the point about is they have um, decided just before Kenneth came in to not build a major cruise port in Cayman. Cayman is mm -hmm. one of the largest cruise ports 
in the Caribbean. I think it's the fourth largest in terms of passengers, um, except annually. But it doesn't have a, a major cruise pier. Um, really can't. It doesn't have a pier at all, right? You it have doesn't have a pier. There, yeah, you right? still you have to tender into in, Grand Cayman. Which uh-huh. is less practical, let's just say, for as the larger ships are growing. Uh, I think they've, they've had pressure from the cruise industry. And also they had a government-backed plan. <laughs> which is extends back 20 years really to um build a pier it was defeated this by public referendum just before kenneth took over and he made the point that you know we're really we're willing to sacrifice um largest ships or that level of cruise activity for our natural environment they would have changed the structure of georgetown harbor to build this cruise pier so uh, mm-hmm. they didn't want that and you can see they can they can afford to make those decisions so. I, I was gonna say they have you know i'm glad that they're not making any apologies for yeah. it because they certainly shouldn't have but you know now that because they have that financial services industry that is quite robust they are not in the position of other caribbean islands where they've put everything in the tourism basket all their eggs in the tourism basket and so they can afford to be picky choosy right they can they afford to say can. you know what <laughs> we don't want we don't want a cruise ship pier that is going to make large even larger ships coming here and make and congest our town every day when we're trying to get from you know one end of town to the other because i can tell you from living in montego bay oh my god on a cruise ship day a, a, a journey that could have taken 10 minutes before the ship got in can take you an hour and a half with all the cruise passengers getting off and going on tours and all of that stuff so you know i think good for grand Cayman. They are thinking of exactly what you're talking about, Sarah, the impact on their community of uh, mass cruise and their environment, their physical environment of, uh, of larger scale cruise tourism. And again, they're willing to uh, bypass that for what they feel is more important. And they're in a position to do so. Um, at the same time, kind of said, we, you know, we want cruise activity. We're not saying no to it, but, you know, it should be in a way that is manageable and equitable for both sides. And uh, they've even, Kenneth has even said, we can provide incentives to an incentive program. He said, they're still discussing this. They're not doing it. I'm not suggesting that. Um, But incentives for cruise lines to come there because he says he knows came in his position geographically that it's convenient for cruise lines to stop there. It's so close to Jamaica, which is a staple of cruise activity. So they do want to go there. And, you know, there are obviously other reasons to go to Cayman, but uh, it's going to be worked out. So it's good. Again, when you talk to Sarah and I, you hear from the tourism decision makers. And uh, so you're hearing it straight from Mr. Bryant. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Um, I, I, I want to just, even though we've been talking about all sorts of policies and a little bit of bad news and challenges, I want to maybe end my section on something of a bit of a lighter note, which is shopping. <laughs> you know, I like to think of myself as a black belt shopper and I can find a shop opportunity anywhere. Yes, don't worry, folks. Um, <laughs> so nice. I wanted to just share this product and no, they're not paying me to say it. I wish they were, but I want to share this project product that I am using now and it's called the Cincha Travel Belt. What's a travel belt, you ask? Well, let's say I, I always travel. I'm team carry-on only. And so I have my carry-on and I travel with a big um, personal item i.e. tote on the top. I I try to keep it all together, but you know, the second I go from the tarmac to the carpet to the tile, everything kinds of fall apart, kind of falls apart. So this Cincha travel belt is a sort of belt-like strap that has a section that goes over the retractable handle of your carry-on and then around around your tote. So it holds everything together. 
It's um, the thing is made of nylon and leatherette. It's not cheap. It's about mm, $35. It starts at $35, but it comes in 15 colors from neutrals to brights, which I love. And I really highly recommend it. It's really functional. Um, and that's really important when I travel. So if you're interested, have a look at their website. It's Cincha, C-I-N-C-H-A, travel.com. Check it out. I think it's a really good product. And um, it's just that Sarah recommended. There you go. Anytime, I think, anytime you have an aid to travel. Sarah and I have slightly different feelings. Sarah Sarah loves the airport. She loves every facet <laughs> of the travel. I do. I happen to hate the airport personally, and I can't wait to get out of there, uh, you know, once I enter and once, you know. So um, any aid to me, any aid to travel and to <laughs> navigating the process is worth looking into. So there you go. You want that cinch. <laughs> so you I want, want that cinch. <laughs> you want that cinch. You want that cinch, folks. Get the cinch. So <laughs> I think that's a good place to end here. It's it's positive and it's a good note. And, um, you know, it encourages us that, you know, I know we're going to go through some challenges. We were talking about that before the podcast. But, you know, we've come this far. Um, we got to just keep, you know, keep, keep, keep doing what we need to do. Get vaccinated, folks, if you want to travel and uh, just pay attention to the protocols and the destinations that you go to and have respect Absolutely. for the folks that are there and their their own health and safety and your and yours as well. I here, think, here. I think we should end there. So um, thanks again, guys, for uh, being with us for this uh, another complete Caribbean podcast. As Sarah said, please subscribe and uh, we will see you soon with another great episode. So thanks again. Bye, guys. Thank you.